It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. What a great show ahead. Uh, questions, answers. We'll talk more about PRISM, more insight there. you got to stay tuned. This is the show to keep your privacy and security up. Security Now is next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 409, recorded June 19th, 2013. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 170. Security Now is brought to you by Carbonite. Automatically and continually back up your computer files to the cloud whenever your computer is connected to the Internet for only $59 a year. Try it free at Carbonite.com and use the offer code SECURITYNOW to get two bonus months with purchase. And by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the offer code SN20. It's time for Security Now, the post-NSA edition. <laughs> uh, Steve Gibson is here, our explainer-in-chief, the guy who does all the security and privacy uh, and, and is really our guru in that uh, realm. Hello, Steve. Good to see you. Hey, Leo. Great to be with you again. And we have largely, as is expected, a follow-up to last week's blockbuster uh, uh, theory of how PRISM works, as I expected, uh, actually, we I probably had double the number of email wow. that I normally pull from the mailbag, yeah. which would have only been in half of the period of time. So strong response. I've never had a a, a, a response as evidenced on Twitter uh, like we had to last week's episode. So, um, you know, a lot of people who, you know, our typical listener who understands the technology that we talked about and we talk about every week understood this. So... And actually, another document surfaced. Um, I have a link to it in the notes today, but it's from this Norris company, which was originally an Israeli company that produced the high-performance networking filter um, hardware that I referred to last week. I tracked down tracked them down after the show, and one of the like the second page of their brochure shows a prism as <laughs> it's like okay yeah that's oh, a little too coincidental well and i've seen a number of articles that kind of seem to somewhat confirm from the washington post and declan mccullough writing uh it's seen it kind of confirm your uh hypothesis and i've seen nothing to negate it right so um but uh yeah so anyway, anyway we it was interesting because uh, apple put out a statement. I don't know if you were going to. Well, I'll save. Let's save this. We uh, do. We do discuss Apple's yeah. statement and actually, unfortunately, how weak it actually is, given the evidence right. that they're able to provide iMessages in the backlog after the fact. So anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that. 
Uh, before we do, uh, <laughs> very <laughs> apropos, let's talk about protecting yourself online and protecting your privacy and security online. Couldn't be a better time to use VPN, a virtual private network, and ProXPN is the way to do it. It is an open VPN solution, uh, so you know it works. It's good. Steve endorses open VPN. Um, these days with governments and ISPs wanting to control what you see and don't see, what keeping a record of everything you do, and then the free Wi-Fi at the coffee house and the hotel and the airport that <laughs> lets everybody see what you do, not just the feds, uh, perhaps even in, in, you know intercepting passwords and sensitive data. Uh, I think it's time to encrypt your tunnel. Uh, put your data through a private encrypted tunnel back to the Pro XPN servers so nobody can spy on what you do. And then at ProXPN's end, you can choose where your data emerges because ProXPN has servers all over the world. So you can, uh, you know, choose the U.S., the U.K., and Asia and more for your exit point onto the public Internet. Uh, so I think that's really a good idea. And, uh, and it has some additional benefits because if you do that, uh, you also can choose what geographic restrictions uh, you are subject to. So servers in Dallas, Seattle, London, Singapore, Los Angeles, New York City, and Amsterdam uh, pretty much guarantee that any content you want to watch, you can watch regardless of geographic restrictions. It looks like you're in those cities. Uh, it protects you against your ISP, too, even at home. That six strikes rule, they can't see what you're doing. Uh, uses open VPN, as I said, or if you're on a mobile device that doesn't support it, and some don't now, uh, PPTP. Your choice. Uh, any online application will work with ProXPN, including your web browser, your email, your file sharing, your instant messaging programs. ProXPN keeps everything you do online hidden from prying eyes, disguising your physical location and giving you unfettered access to any website or online service, no matter where you live or where you travel to. It's really good for travelers iOS, Android, world-class customer support. Now, they have free accounts, certainly worth a try if you want to see if you like it. But uh, for the best results, of course, you're going to want the premium account. Now, normally, that's $9.95 a, a month, $75 if you buy an entire year. But we've got a special offer, a Security Now offer for our listeners. Use the offer code SN20, SN for Security Now, 204 20% off, not just for the first month, year, for the lifetime of your account. That means if you buy an annual plan, it's less than 5 bucks a month. Wow. And, of course, if you're not satisfied, cancel within seven days for a full refund. So there's no problem. ProXPN.com slash twit. Use the offer code SN20. Protect yourself online. Protect your privacy. Do you know, Steve, off the, and I should probably look through this, uh, what they log or don't log uh, at ProXPN? I have not looked into it. Because that would be germane as well. If they don't, uh, and we'll talk about this with the Apple uh, thing. If, 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 it's, if nothing's being logged, it's a little harder for people to, f even if they find the exit point, to figure out what you're up to. Uh, yeah, I think my focus was that they are an open VPN server. We and yeah. we, know that we know the technology of open VPN. Yeah. Um, and some people have asked which security and privacy laws they follow. And the answer was they follow the laws of the server to which right. you connect, of, of the laws of the country of where the server resides. Right. So that's, so that's that aspect yeah. of it. So, I, you know, if you choose Amsterdam, you've got the Dutch laws. If you choose London, you've got the U.K. laws, that kind of thing. Yep. Singapore. 
All right, proxpn.com slash twit. Give it a try uh, today. Strongly recommended. It's a it's a, a Dutch company, by the way. Uh, so you don't. I think that they probably have a somewhat different attitude towards uh, privacy. Privacy, like better, yeah. as in better, <laughs> as yes. in better. Uh, logs. Okay, Calbozone says logs are kept for two weeks and deleted. That's that's what you want. That's exactly yep. what you want. Proxpn.com slash twit. And that probably means they're keeping logs only for technical support reasons. Right, if you, you call if up you, and say. If you're saying, yeah. hey, I keep getting disconnected, then they're able to go in and dig around and right. see if they can figure out why in order to help you mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to narc on you. Uh, um, that's good. So inevitably, we were going to see some jokes arise from the, the NSA. <laughs> you know, that's how you know something's serious. <laughs> Seriously, yes, when something's exactly. about, to, to, you know, there's a guy yes. named Jan uh, Brunner who's an expert on urban, uh, uh, you know, those jokes uh, cycles. Uh, like the, right. uh, remember the elephant in your refrigerator, the dead baby, all of these joke cycles. And uh, I interviewed him once and he said, you know, it's always the most taboo subject. So the dead baby jokes were right about when the abortion debate was raging in this country. And so it's a way of handling very taboo subjects uh, in a way that is not incendiary, but lets it, some of the steam off. And so, of course. Exactly. It sort of allows the sort of the pressure off. of Yeah, the, it's, a, it's a coping top. mechanism. So my, my absolute favorite uh, I, actually, was a photo that my tech support guy Greg sent me, and there was so there was this, it was a photo of a distraught-looking woman, and across the top, it said, "My computer's hard drive crashed." Dot dot dot, and then at the bottom, uh, and this ex- explains why she's unhappy, and the NSA won't send me their backup copy. <laughs> What backup cut? Co- what do you what? Uh, I like that. <laughs> then we have another one. Yeah. An, an NSA agent walks into his favorite bar. Yeah. The bartender says, "Hey, I've got a joke for you." Yeah. The NSA guy replies, "I already heard it." Like, okay. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. I already heard it. Okay, and then we have crypto humor. NSA crypto humor. Why didn't Edward Snowden? Ever go back to his Hong Kong hotel room to avoid the NSA? Why? It was a one-time pad. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> if you're Edward Snowden, never sleep in the same bed twice. Exactly. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. So that's our humor, our, our, our opening podcast humor, consequence of, uh, of last week's certainly less than humorous uh, disclosures and our theory about the way things may be working. Uh, in security news, it was a very quiet week. I think everybody's still in shock. No one's doing anything, you know, good or bad, except yeah. that Oracle had no choice but to release a critical patch update for Java. This fixes 40 new security problems. 37 of these are remotely exploitable without authentic- authentication. And Oracle recommends reading from their release news that this critical patch update be applied as soon as possible because it includes fixes for a number of severe vulnerabilities. Note that the vulnerabilities fixed in this critical patch update affect various components and as a result may not affect the security posture of all Java users in the same way. So, uh, Posture is in bend over? As in... <laughs> 
As in why, you know, when there there was a link, like, you know, check your current version. So I thought, okay, I, I wonder what I have. And, of course, Firefox said, oh, you have no evidence of Java. It's like, yes. Oh, good news. That's what we want. We have no current version. No version. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I was disappointed yeah. to see that, I, you know, I got a new Mac. Uh, yeah. And I was disappointed to see that Safari by default, happy to see Safari by default blocks third-party cookies. Uh, by default yep. does not... Um, uh, give you the uh, what is that setting that we like? Do not track setting. It's off by default, right? Uh, right. And uh, unfortunately, Java's on by default. But Apple has a very good policy, which is if if you don't use it, it turns it off. And, and before you can run it, it says, "Are you sure you want to run it?" So I guess yep. it's all, probably all right to leave it on. But I turn it off. I turn it off. Yeah. The problem, of course, is that people who don't know will just say, "Oh, yeah." yeah. yeah. You know, they just click yes in order to move on to what they want, and uh, and that's how they get owned right. in this day and age. Um, there was a a piece in uh, uh, foreign policy, uh, the foreign policy website. I think uh, our friend Simon Zarafa pointed me to it. Mm-hmm. And first, I was just going to give it a synopsis, but as I began to read it in order to figure out what how I would pull out from it, I thought, wow, this is just all good stuff. So I'm going to share it with our listeners. The, 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 the title is The Suddenly Booming Business of Secretive Communications. And, of course, the reason this is relevant is what has been the upshot of the revelations a week and a half ago. So the article reads, For anyone in the habit of wearing a tinfoil hat, the last couple of weeks have been ones of redemption. With a steady stream of revelations about the National Security Agency's astonishingly broad intelligence-gathering activities, conspiracy theories about its reach have been seemingly validated. Those same um, raise a related question. Are there ways to avoid the NSA's prying eyes? It turns out there are, for the most part anyway, and for the companies selling communication tools to circumvent surveillance programs, business is going like gangbusters. Silent Circle, a company that provides encrypted email, phone, and messaging services, has seen sales increase 400% so far this month. You can now take advantage of a 50% discount on its full suite of services. Moxie Marlin Spike, the hacker and developer behind Whisper Systems, another purveyor of encrypted in communications tools, says his service has seen a 3,000% increase in its new active user rate since June 6th, when the story about the NSA's prison program first broke, though he did not offer specifics about the numbers of users the company has signed up. CryptoCat, a free Encrypted chat service, which was, of course, the topic of this podcast a couple weeks ago, welcomed almost 5,000 new users last week, and server traffic is currently running 80% above average for its 65,000 regular users, according to Natum Kobiisi, the site's lead developer, and Tor, a web browser, as this site describes it, and we know what Tor is actually, a network, anonymizing network, that protects its users from so-called traffic analysis, has seen a 17% increase in its mean daily usage in the United States. The number of users now approaching 90,000. Quote, 
We are running around with our hair on fire. It's insane, said Silent Circle CEO Mike Janke to Foreign Policy. Utilizing a peer-to-peer encryption tool, Silent Circle's communication tools, which include everything from email to text messaging to video conferencing, promise near anonymity on the web. In layman's terms, these services scramble your communications with users using a similar encryption protocol, turning your message into a bunch of gibberish for the NSA analyst to listen in. Silent Circle's offerings are part of a burgeoning movement online to ensure user anonymity and prevent privacy breaches. But tools such as encrypted email can only do so much to fight back against the NSA. In recent years, encryption technology has become so advanced that the agency has largely moved away from using brute force decryption methods, that is, leveraging an immense amount of computer power to unlock a given encryption algorithm, and instead has adopted traffic analysis methods, according to Janky. This is the Silent Circle CEO guy. As part of this new approach, the NSA scoops up immense troves of a given type of communication and tries to spot patterns of the, in the usage of those exchanges. That technique, known as traffic analysis, allows the agency to establish connections between people and groups on the Internet and by, and by identifying its targets in the morass of messages, the NSA can map a given target's entire social network. That information can often be more valuable than the content of the message itself. And to pause here for a second, and of course we noted, and I think mostly it was after we were after we stopped recording last week, Leo, uh, you you reiterated more strongly, and I thought made the very good point that the reason. The NSA is sitting there tapping the communications of these major providers is they all know who their customers are, even if the NSA can't see it because it's encrypted, but they can see the patterns. Then the NSA can go to the provider saying, well, we know this is a customer of yours because this went down your pipe at such and such a time. So we need to know who that is. And then they can go to the the warranted um, uh, you know, full disclosure on 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 a on a targeted basis, rather than just the wholesale uh, sweeping of content. And many people saying, "Well, it's encrypted, so what?" Anyway, just to wrap this up, it says all this means that encryption tools like those offered by Silent Circle are only a first step, a reality that that Janky fully acknowledge, and that email is particularly vulnerable to NSA snooping. Due to the physics of email, I'm quoting somebody, due to the physics of email, how a server needs to take that data and send it down to someone else, ah, it's, it's janky again, saying it is vulnerable to metadata and it hangs around forever. Um, janky said, referring to secondary data, the contents of the to and from fields, say, or routing information and so forth. Anyway, so I thought that it was interesting that, that you know, here we're seeing in their in the popular press, first of all, we, we've seen what we would expect, which is a massive rush to adopt these technologies more so than than previously. I mean, they're out there, they exist, but people are like, oh, well, I'm really not sure that I, I need it. Suddenly, you know, hundreds of percent increases in 
in actual usage by people who who really want to be secure. And I ran across one that looks very nice called um, Threema, T-H-R-E-E-M-A. Um, it really looks like they've done this right. It's a secure instant messaging, not quite support for BlackBerry yet, but it is multi-platform uh, and BlackBerry support is reputed to be coming. So uh, that's a nice thing. But But the other thing I thought was interesting was that, you know, that they're – they're recognizing that it's possible to leverage traffic analysis, much as I talked about last week when I was trying to say, wait a minute, it's not like, you know, the metadata is not useful. It's incredibly useful. Um, so, you know, notwithstanding the various uh, attempts to minimize its impact that we saw uh, from the various people, you know, the politicians who are, um, who are you know, the talking heads last week. Um, and I did – I thought this was interesting. For those who aren't following me on Twitter, there is a bit.ly tab, a bit.ly link I created. Leo, you might want to bring this up just to look at the top right of the second page. It's bit.sy slash sn408, which is the Security, Security Now episode number last week, and low, all lowercase, and then n as in Narus, N-A-R-U-S, which is the company – which uh, we're almost certain. Well, we know for sure that that they were the traffic analysis provider years ago in the in the secret NSA room at the AT and T building at six eleven Folsom Street in San Francisco. Um, there's every reason to believe that that relationship has continued, and in fact, they're now a subsidiary of Boeing. <laughs> like this prism. <laughs> yes, there's there's the prism. <laughs> Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Network <laughs> traffic beam split it into three planes. Yep. I mean, that's not really what's going on with our prism, but uh, no. And in fact, I think, I, I think actually it's probably a a half silvered mirror. I, I don't know exactly what a <laughs> how a fiber optic beam splitter works, but right. I would think it would be they, they'd be using a partially sil- silvered mirror so that half the photons bounce off, half right. pe- go straight through, and so it actually is a beam splitter rather than a prism. But you know, prism splits a, a light into different frequencies, and here it is in the Norris brochure. It's like oh, okay, yeah. you first page. Little, it'll be a little more subtle, maybe. <laughs> You know that prism <laughs> thing? Yeah, we invented it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's funny. That's funny. I did want to make a mention just because I just to tie this up because I mentioned it in the past on the podcast. I did finally the 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 BlackBerry I was waiting for the Q10, which is the keyboarded version of the Z10, got into the stores and I owned it for two days. Two days, and I returned it. <laughs> You lasted longer than I did. Uh, <laughs> oh, you no, know, you, and yeah, you got a Q, though. That's the one with a physical keyboard. Well, and I know what they did, and unfortunately, they've ruined the BlackBerry now. Uh. So I doubled down. I got myself a second pole 9930 Verizon Unlocked just so I have a spare. Oh, because this is probably... You nuts. You crazy. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. How many MacBook Airs do you have? Well, I always... But I get one. I get the new one. I get the I get the uh, the latest, not... Uh, I and I see, I get... Old, I'm not, I get I'm not old, putting old, old MacBook Airs in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> you crack me up. That's hysterical. What they did was they, they of course, went... They said, okay, everybody's going touch, so we're going to do that. And so they, they designed a new OS that no longer required the hard keys that the original BlackBerry 
has always had. I mean, the very, very old Blackberries, you'll remember, they had like a scroll wheel on the side, mm -hmm. and you could scroll and then push in mm -hmm. in order to like select and, and then enter. That's how the pagers or, worked. I loved that. Oh, it was, it's a beautiful yeah, interface. It was a good I system. One-handed, thank you very much. You, yeah. and, and, and then a menuing system is designed. The point is, yes, there's some learning curve, but the flip side is once you have learned it, it's the best thing there is. I mean, it's like it's the answer. And that's what you want in a communications device you're going to be using, you know, essentially, you know, plugged into your spinal cord in, in, in the way you want to operate. So instead, they said, oh, well, you know, we need we need touch. They, they had that, that awful first attempt uh, to do touch where this whole screen kind of clicked in. It's like, oh, goodness, no. Um, so then they had the Z10, which required them to design a UI that no longer needed the the little first we had a, we went from the scroll wheel then we went to a trackball then to a trackpad where you go you know you have cursor positioning up down left right and then you push in to select or you've got a back arrow and then you've got a couple hard buttons for like answer the phone hang up the phone and so forth all that's gone everything's now touch and it's awful i, I have lived <laughs> with it I, I learned it i lived with it for 2 days yeah. and i brought it back yeah. and and i said you know, here, put you know, hook my hook my old one up. It's yeah. better than this. Oh, and it wouldn't do my, the way I was able to get out of it. Although I didn't really have to have an excuse, it would not allow me to have distinctive tones for my various conversations. Anytime that you know Jenny is sending me email or text messages. There's a Jenny sound, and my best friend Mark, he's, there's a Mark sound, and we know that there's yabba dabba do. All of that is text messaging. They've lost the ability to set up individual ringtones, essentially, for those, yeah. believe it or not. It's, yeah. it's not there. And it's hugely controversial on the net that it won't do that. And I said, well, it won't do that. And they said, oh, of course it will. Well, they couldn't make it work. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. I don't know. Get an Android phone. You might actually like it. No, I'm done. You want, I know you want a keyboard, but... Uh -uh. I need uh, a keyboard, no touch, and, and, and I want real buttons. I'm sticking with what I've got. You know, so many times, look at Windows 7 compared to 8. You know, you, they get it right, and then they just can't leave it alone. Yeah. And we've talked about this. They have to no, keep that's up true. with it. That's true. Yeah, they have to put fins. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you won't buy a new one. Now, I, would just, I just want to do a shout-out to all the great listeners who sent me news from this morning of the fact that Canada needs PDP-11 programmers. <laughs> okay. Why? <laughs> Turns out their nuclear reactors have oh, robotic yeah. systems sure. running on PDP-11s. Not a surprise. And they're, no, yeah. and they're going to until 2050. 2050. Hey, if, it, so, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. And of course, you can't fix are, it because nobody knows how to write software for it. No one knows how to program it anymore. <laughs> right. So it's like, okay, just leave it alone. But I guess maybe they do need to add some features or God help like, they probably like put code it on the fixes. Maybe they want to get it ready for the year 2000. Well, so they're looking for PDP 11 programmers who can also train. Wow. Because they're, they're saying 2050 is several generations yeah. of programmers. Yeah. Kids being born today will need to know. How to write code for PDP-11. Now, I figure if I keep taking this level of supplements that I am. 
It's only 37 more years, Steve. I'm going to be there. Yeah, you'll be 90. It's good. I want that. When they decommission those, I want those PDP 11 so I can get a bigger refrigerator. Now, do they, are they, are, what language are we talking? It's not assembler. Yes, specifically stated assembly language programming. Oh, and, but that was, as you said, a very nice orthogonal uh, oh, my instruction God, it's set, a simple. Beautiful, yeah. It's a beautiful instruction set. They should yeah. learn it. They should learn it. Yeah, I have PDP-11 so yeah. that I can spend some time programming. I know you do. That's what those yeah. blinking lights are back there. Oh, those are eights. Oh, I'm the sorry. Electric. Pardon me. Oh, how could I be so stupid? Yeah, we got they, 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 These are three later. <laughs> you should send them a note. Do you need any eight programmers? <laughs> We're not dead yet. Uh, and we wow. already talked about it. I had notes here. We already talked about Man of Steel. I, without a spoiler, and this doesn't spoil anything, I loved the first three quarters of it, and I just was annoyed with the, with the, yeah. with the latter three quarters. Uh, I'm exactly with you. Uh, yeah. I felt like I was watching Transformers 3 or 4. Yes. You know, it, it was, was really just – it was ridiculous. Yeah. So did you right. catch all the and this is not a spoiler either all the uh, and I guess this is not unusual it was in Superman Returns too all the uh, kind of crypto Christian uh, you know he's 33 years old he emerges like this um, there was in fact apparently in the in the early days of Superman the first Superman that Schuster and uh, Kane were writing uh, his mother's name was Mary uh, they changed that to Martha. Um, but there's a if, wow. if as I'm watching it, oh, I'm I, going, I wow, more. And then at one point, uh, you know, General Zod says, uh, you know, I am evolution. This is evolution will win. And and yeah. Superman responds by punching him out. <laughs> um, so it was kind of interesting. I, I, I don't know what it means. And it was apparently even stronger in Superman Returns, which I missed. Um, but Superman is a god after all, right? And okay. they say that watch over and Superman, over again. Watch Superman Returns. It's really? got a fabulous opening sequence. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I, I mean, I've watched it like seven times. It's just wonderful. I do love, and I'm with you, and I think you and oh, I, I might be mythology. in the... Oh, I love the mythology. Yeah, but you and I might be in the small uh, minority because a lot of people didn't like Superman. The people who liked Man, uh, Superman didn't like Man of Steel as much. I liked how it was shot. I liked the grittiness of it. It feels like the film was processed. It's very grainy. Yes, um, I agree. I, I thought it was. I just I liked everything about it until this ridiculous extended battle scene. It's like yeah, oh, okay. I, they could have left that out. I have to. Admit. And you know, also it did. It made a huge amount of money. It was one hundred twenty-five million dollars. Oh, yeah, very big opening weekend. weekend. Yeah. And and unfortunately, Iron Man three, which was also ridiculously violent in the same way, was similar. So maybe that's what they have to do now in order people, to cross the million dollars yeah, people, people, people want thrust. people want it is kids it is it's, it's, it's not, not us old, old farts it's no. young people they want uh, all of the uh, action yeah and, i'm uh, going to completely miss pacific rim i am not that doesn't even get in i'm not even going <laughs> to try it looks like a lot of uh, blowing oh. things up on that one yeah it is actually just transformers you know <laughs> robot robot controlled transformers yeah right it'll it'll yeah. it'll sell in japan yeah, i think yeah Okay, I've never now. been a fan of comic book movies. I have to say, I liked Man of yeah. Steel, and I liked how they handled the backstory. I like I I, don't, I didn't even people complained about the first forty minutes on um, on Kryptonite and uh, Krypton, and I li actually liked. Oh, that it was stuff. wonderful. I thought that was quite good. Yes. Yeah, but uh, you and I are, yeah. are, are the only ones, I guess. Yeah. All right. Now I got a neat tweet from someone who said, "Steve, I would normally thank you for the fact that I've lost fifty pounds." And have kept it off. All right. And he's, of course, referring to getting rid of, of starch from his diet. He said, however, mostly I want to thank you for Justified. 
Justified. Um, what was that? That was it's the, oh, the show. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the series on FX. Love it. Which I turned a bunch of people onto, and they're like, "Oh my goodness!" I mean, it, it is really excellent. Yeah, yeah. So I have another one. I just finished watching the first two seasons of this in a in a multi day marathon. They're both out on disc. I bought the the uh, DVD, the Blu Ray on the first season, the DVD the second season. But of course, you can get them wherever you get your media. And this is an AMC production called The Killing. Oh yeah, that's whew. oh Leo. Yeah, yeah. that's it free is. on Amazon Prime for people. I, oh, I bought it too, goodness. and then I found it on Amazon Prime for uh, streaming for free. But yeah. I, it's yeah. top my top recommendation yeah. for incredibly good television. Again, yeah. it, it, Jenny recommended it to me. She said, "Steve, you've got to watch this." The, the, the third season is now airing, so my my box is recording season number three. It has been. Meanwhile, I watched the first two seasons. Oh goodness! I mean, it is. It, it's. I, I saw. I read one comment that referred to it as as sort of like reminiscent of Twin Peaks without the crazy. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's interesting because the music is sort of reminiscent. It's a it's a murder mystery, so it has that in common with Twin Peaks. And but the writing and the acting, it is it is spectacular. So anyway, I just wanted to for people who you know care about my opinion on these things and have you know succeeded in following it in the past. The killing uh, on AMC is oh wow, it's really good. Yeah, it's a Danish TV show. Well, it's based on a Danish series, right. and so it's a remake of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, it's from a da- of, yeah, yeah. Yes, Sorry. absolutely. It's not actually yeah. Danish. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had a I, I ran in, in the in the mailbag a question and comment that that opens up a topic uh, that I sort of start I stepped into yes or last week when you were asking me about Spinrite and Mac, and this is Stuart Rawling in Merced, California. Uh, he said, Steve, great to hear you're working on an OS X Spinrite. I have a late 2008 iMac with a failing hard disk drive that was part of a recall from Apple that I missed. I'm not sure of the exact nature of the failure the Seagate drives are having, which apparently were being recalled, but I'm suspecting that running Spinrite on level 2 may be sufficient to prolong the life of the iMac. I'm currently toying with replacing the hard disk drive with a solid-state drive, but would be willing to give any beta of Spinrite a try to see if it makes a difference before I do so. Of course, I have this fully backed up, time machine, carbonite, etc., etc. I'm already a longtime owner of Spinrite and the proud owner of a hard disk drive that was previously completely recovered, and I would be more than happy to buy another copy to pay you for your additional work so that you are undertaking uh, the, the additional work that you are undertaking for the Mac version. This offer stands with or without a beta. So make sure so make sure this does not go the way of CryptoLink. Cheers, Stuart. Okay, so I have a couple things to say because many people have have been excited by the news of a Mac version. So, first of all, it, there will not be a Mac version. It will just be the one Spinrite, which will now also work on the Mac. So, so there there actually is no need for there to be a Spinrite Mac. So the good news is for people who are multi-platform, you'll be able to run it on the one the one version you get. You'll be able to run on everything, and that's of course because I'm 
all I care about is the chipset, is, you know, the underlying Intel processor, which the Macs that are Intel Macs are able to operate on. So this will not work on a PowerPC Mac, and I'm sure there will never be a spin right for PowerPC-based Macs. But I can do it relatively easily for Intel Mac because I'm bringing my own OS along. Um, relative to betas and so forth, um, I'm going to handle this the way I did Spinrite 6, which is it's being developed right now pretty much in the open. I mean, in an open public dialogue over on GRC's news server. There's a news group, grc.spinrite.dev, and we've already got people playing with code Right now, it's not Spinrite code. I just finished uh, some some code to fully enumerate the PCI bus in order to find all the mass storage controllers because it turns out that there are the newer controllers have a, a mode of operating called AHCI, um, which is the Advanced Host Controller Interface. Um, and then there's uh, IDE and ATA and DMA and Ultra DMA and all this. So I'm I'm working on code to begin to sort of create the the, the low level technology which will allow Spinrite to bypass the BIOS, and we'll have code running as I'm like as I'm writing my own drivers, and this will all be tested you know in the open. So if anyone's interested, those are this is the GRC discussion groups that we've had for a decade, um, and there is a Spinrite development subgroup off the Spinrite group and it's open anyone is willing is is, is who is interested is is welcome to to join us over there the way i handle pre-release is that if you're an existing owner you'll be able to use the url that we can provide you that that we do provide you to download your copy of Spinrite anytime and you just change the url and you'll be able to get pre-releases of this. I'll let people know what's going on. People in the development group will always know what's going on. But so essentially I've got the the existing licensing technology, which has been in place. We use that, for example, to allow people to download Spinrite 5 if they actually want to run it on an 8086. Because in Spinrite 6, I began using 32-bit code much more aggressively. And so there we ran across people that actually still had non-386 based hardware and it's like oh okay you can have Spinrite 5 you just change the url to a 5 and then you get a copy of Spinrite 5 using the, the same approach so we'll be doing that um and therefore allowing people to play with Spinrite as it comes along and i actually am deliberately planning several releases of Spinrite because doing the native usb support is probably going to take a lot longer there's there's not doesn't seem to be the, the same uniformity in USB chips that there are in the in the hard drive chipset. So Spinrite 6.1 will have a whole bunch of new features, including that it'll it'll support the the Mac um, and support all the latest hardware, large format hard drives, uh, UEFI file systems, and and BIOSes and so forth. Um, but I'm going to deliberately not delay that. Um, in favor of working on USB, that'll be probably 6.2. We thought that 
6.2 was, was going to be the AHCI controller, which is a far more sophisticated controller than IDE, except it turns out all the, and this was the result of this weekend's, this past week's uh, and, and weekend's experiments, all the AHCI controllers can be told to behave as an earlier generation controller. So I'm not going to have to explicitly support AHCI nearly as soon as I thought. So the point is, since it's all going to be free, and that's the answer to Stuart's question is, there's, I'm not going to charge anybody for this. Um, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm happy to keep SpinRite alive. Um, and, you know, everyone has been supporting me uh, by buying SpinRite. So this is how I, how, how I, re- I return that favor. And Very I'm, nice I'm glad, glad to do it. Very, and, uh, very kind, Steve. And consequently, since it's, since it's free, I, I don't have to hold everything back waiting for one big release. I can release it in, in sort of incrementally as I get chunks of work done. And it's looking like it will be able to do I, – I have done a level 2, 2 terabyte drive in five hours, and I'm going to be able to make it faster than that because we'll be using much larger buffers and something called extended real mode, a different way of putting the, allowing the, the, the real mode instruction set and chip to access all of the machine's memory to use 32 meg buffers rather than 32K buffers. So anyway, uh, if anyone wants to follow along, it's grc.spinrite.dev. Um, you do need, this is, we do not have a, um, a, web browser interface we use old school nntp the network news transfer protocol but for example the mozilla folks have an nntp uh browser and even outlook i think is able to do you know old style news group which is really a a terrific way of of operating so that's what's going on i'm working on it there's no way i'm it's going to go the way of cryptolink i should mention that i mean i stopped cryptolink because I felt what was happening with encryption, we keep seeing there being this this tension where the government is beginning to is still making noises about wanting to force backdoors on any encrypted technology. And so uh, it may well be that a commercial encrypted solution uh, won't be viable unless it has a backdoor. And I just have no interest in doing that. So anyway, Spinrite needs... Uh, some more of my time, and I'm happy to to give it to it. It's well, it's all I'm working on now. So I'm and I'm really enjoying it. I'm thrilled to hear it. And um, I, I I saw a tweet that I just wanted to comment on. Uh, someone sent. He said, "I listened to the distributed hash table episode of Security Now, and it was an hour and a half before getting to the main topic." And so I just wanted to say, you know, the whole podcast is the main topic. Everything we've been talking about and all of the news of the week and and obviously this is a Q&A and we're about to get to the Q&A, but you know, this is what we're offering, not just whatever the, you know, whatever we happen to be focusing on on our non-Q&A weeks. So, you know, sometimes we have a lot to talk about at the top of the show. Sometimes we don't have that much going on. So we just play it by ear. But, you know, it's I, I, I'm I know that our listeners have sent a lot. We had a lot of feedback saying they just love the whole thing. I mean, they love us talking about what's going on with a strong, you know, sci-fi and security and science. And sometimes it's 
you know, how capacitors store charge and what supercapacitors are. I mean, we've had very popular podcasts where they've where our top of the show stuff hasn't even been about uh, security. So, uh, you know, that's what we do. And, and I think we're we're largely giving people what they want. And I might point out that there is something called a fast forward button on almost all podcast players. And I personally, I won't spank you if you fast forward. It's quite all right. Uh, so you can go to any part of the podcast at any time. Uh, just think of it as an extra, you know, extra jam-packed, full of goodness show and listen to the parts you like. Yeah. Uh, I can't, I don't even understand why somebody would complain that it, it's an hour and a half. I don't even understand that. Just go to where you want it to begin. Which is very odd <laughs> to me. It's like I was forced to listen for ninety minutes. I don't understand. Go get some fresh air, kid. Yeah, I think uh, he actually <laughs> likes the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably it. Uh, <laughs> it cracks me up. Now, on the other hand, if you're watching live, you're stuck. Uh, that's why we want you to watch live. You have to watch, and you have to listen to the commercials. And I don't think that's a problem at all. We're going to give you some questions and some answers in just a second, but we do want to mention our great sponsor, Carbonite. A great time to uh, have a backup. Now, I know you say well, the government's backing it up, but go ahead and try to get it out of the NSA. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, so Carbonite. They'll deny it, Leo. They'll deny they'll say, it. No, we don't we know they, they will. We don't know what you're talking about. You know, one of the nice things about Carbonite, we talk about it a lot, but this audience, I, I can get a little deeper. And Steve did a. Uh, uh, analysis of all the cloud storage uh, and backup solutions. One of the good things about Carbonite, it's one of the few that has TNO encryption. Now, I should point out, you lose some features inevitably anytime you do TNO because only you have the key. So there are some things you can't do. For instance, uh, if you don't turn if you don't turn on TNO encryption, uh, Carbonite will let you access your data from anywhere. Uh, by logging on to any Carbonite account or on your smartphone, they have free apps and stuff. But that doesn't work if you've fully encrypted it, you can't see the individual files. Um, however, if privacy is important to you, Carbonite does give you that capability. I think that's really, really important. What is Carbonite? Well, it's automatic, continuous, online backup. Whenever you're connected to the internet, Carbonite is backing up, does not slow you down. It's very careful not to get in your way, does not slow down your internet access. It waits till you're idle, and then it trickles your stuff up to the internet. Especially good and especially important for small businesses that don't have a backup strategy, it is not enough. Okay, say you're a mom and pop shop. You got a computer in the back. It's got your customer lists, your receivables, your uh, your suppliers. All of that's on the computer, and you feel good because you're backing it up. You got an external drive sitting right there. What if the store burns down? Now, admittedly, uh, that's going to put you out of business for a little bit. But you don't want it to put you out of business forever. And if you don't have access to your customer list, your receivable, your suppliers. Not only are you out of business, you're losing a lot of money. Carbonite makes sure that if that's what backup's about, disaster planning. If the worst happens, your stuff is still safe up in the cloud, and that is so important. Uh, start your free trial today at Carbonite.com, PC or Mac. For a single computer, $59 a year, but small businesses, they've got plans that uh, give you the same flat rate, uh, unlimited backup. It's secure. It's automatic. It's very affordable. And I want you to try it right now. You get two weeks free. You don't need a credit card. You just need our offer code. One word, security now. That's it. All you need is one one word, security now, no credit card. If you decide to buy, they're going to give you two bonus months with purchase. 14 months for the price of 12. 
Look at their plans. Pick the plan you want. Do the two-week trial. I think on the business plans, they give you a, a month trial. And, and be happy. Don't worry. Relax. Sleep well at night because your stuff is safe. Carbonite.com. It's better than the NSA because you can encrypt it. <laughs> Nobody can see it. All right. Are you ready for uh, some questions? And by the way, we thank them for their support of security now. Are you ready for some questions, Steve? You bet. Let's see here. Uh, question numero uno comes to us from Chiang Mai, Thailand. Wow, that's cool. Uh, Bill Dom wonders about DNS order of precedence. Oh, this is a good question. Yeah. Could you explain the order of precedence in determining the application of DNS settings? Which of these three, the OS on the computer, the modem settings, or the router setting, gets to call the shots as far as DNS is concerned? My setup is as follows. I have both a Mac desktop and a MacBook Air. I also have a CP-Link modem and an Apple Airport Express Wi-Fi router. I have a single Ethernet connection between the modem and the router, so both of my computers utilize the Wi-Fi connection. I can see DNS settings in each of these configurations. The question is, which one should I be using to control my DNS settings? Uh, maybe not even that, but which one will the computer use? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if I can change the DNS setting. I haven't tried, though. I see that they're in the configuration settings of the modem since it was supplied by my ISP. If I can't, is it game over? If I can, and I know I can change the network setting on my Macs, of course, and my Airport Express, where would be the best place to do this? This is a great question. You know, I'll, I'll add to this because I just uh, got the new Airport uh, Extreme router from Apple, the 802.11ac version. And uh, I took that as an opportunity to put open DNS in my DNS settings in the router. Uh, I've always used DHCP on the computer, so I know at least the computer's not overruling it. But he, he raises a good question. What if you have a, a router that's supplied by your cable company and it has its own settings? So, okay. Um, in, in, in Bill's case, what he described to us was sort of a three links in the chain right, right he's right. got he's got a modem and then a router and then his computer the way to think i think the best way to conceptualize this is as as sort of a i don't know like like, like a, a a waterfall or a linked chain the idea is that if you leave everything alone in its def everything in their sort of the default the dns servers are provided by the ISP. And so when when devices get turned on, the the device nearest the ISP asks the ISP for its information. And this uses a, a protocol called DHCP, Dynamic Host Configuration Protocol. So the device closest to the ISP says, "Hi, what what should I use for my IP?" What should I use for my DNS settings? And, you know, is there anything else I need to know? And so they, the sort of the furthest away entity, the ISP, provides that to the next closest to you device. And then, in turn, the, the next closer device says to that one, that asks the same question. Hi there. What should I use for my IP? What should I use for my DNS settings? And so... So it that device gets them from the one next upstream in the direction of the ISP. And similarly, when you turn your computer on, it says, 
to your router, which is typically the thing the computer's connecting to. Hi there. Uh, what should I use for my IP and what should I use for my DNS? So it's a it's sort of a hierarchy of this this the same question being asked each stage up the chain. Now again, if everything is left alone, then the typical default is to ask for your IP and ask for your DNS settings. And that's probably across the world what the vast majority of systems are doing. But our listeners know, for example, they say, well, my ISP's got really slow DNS servers. I want to use open DNS. So they know that they can change. In, in Windows, it's called obtain DNS settings automatically, or, you know, I will provide the DNS settings. And the Apple certainly has the same ability to override this the automatic sort of waterfall of the of the DNS settings coming from each level down to the lower level, you you can say no, I don't want the automatic ones. I'm going to put in my own. Now, you you could do that on each computer, and then the computers would ignore what the router was saying, or. If you are able, and Bill wasn't sure he was, but he saw these settings in the router, if your router lets you change them there, then the benefit is you don't have to also change them on all of your computers. That is, you've sort of, you've sort of stopped the waterfall higher up in that chain, and then everything downstream of that point where you say, don't be automatic, don't accept the setting from who's upstream, I'm going to override it at this stage in in this hierarchy, in this chain, and then everybody below will use those. So, for example, if the if the modem allows you to set those, then the that, that is set the DNS, then the router would ask the modem and it would get the ones you set. Then your computers would ask the router and they would get the ones you set. So I think that's really the best way to think about it is that when everything's automatic, those settings propagate from the ISP all the way down to the computer. And anywhere in that chain, you can say, oops, stop listening, stop asking upstream. I'm going to tell you the answer I want for everything downstream. And so there's a, a sort of a comprehensive answer to that question. Good. Uh, easy enough. Oh, and my goodness, I just saw the name on question number two. <laughs> Have you seen the video, Leo? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, So Lord. weird. He is turned, oh. He's turned into uh, oh. the two and a half men guy. Winning. Okay. Oh. Uh, blessedly uh, uh, blanked his name out. Charlie Sheen. Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Now, okay, so we can't air it on the podcast. Oh, it's full of profanity and sexuality it and... We're it talking about is, John McAfee. By the way, the one good thing about that video is I now know how to pronounce McAfee. <laughs> although he doesn't, he doesn't tell us how to spell it. Although we we do know how to pronounce it. Right, yes, right. Yeah, it's, not, it's, it's not McAfee. It's McAfee. McAfee. 
Yes. Um, now, and it so is him, listen- by the way. And it's just weird. He does oh. a video on how to uninstall McAfee. He says, oh. I wrote this great program, this simple little program 15 years ago. I haven't had anything to do with it in 15 years. In fact, IBM owns it now, I think. Um, or no, I'm sorry, Intel owns it now. But uh, so he oh. took he he cashed out 15 years ago, and so he says. But I keep getting email all the time from people say, "How do I uninstall McAfee?" There are uh, scantily clad women, much of profanity. Uh, there's a fake nerd who supposedly is telling you. There's um, a face full of cocaine. No, it's uh, it's not cocaine. You'll notice the the soap. The uh, bath salts oh, boxes. I saw that. oh, That's what he was okay. into, was inventing this new thing called bath salts. Oh. Uh, and uh, he uh, he gets high in it, and eventually there's lots of guns, and eventually he shoots the computer and says, that's how you uninstall. It, it, but it, it is the most bizarre thing. It's you know, we, we, not we, funny, we, I don't think, but lots of people no, found it funny. I thought it was we shared we, we shared the bizarre adventures in Belize and and his blog that he was doing for a while where it was just stranger than, than you know, truth. But yeah. He's anyway, Charlie so, Sheen. He's become Charlie Sheen. So uh, you, it, it's <laughs> winning. For, for people who think they might enjoy what, we, what Leo just described, it is... It's really you have to see it. It's bizarre. It's on and so YouTube, it's on, and you can search YouTube. for YouTube. John McAfee. Yep, John McAfee. He's got his own channel. Wow. Well, maybe there's more. <laughs> mm. uh, so a listener said, "John, I'm my name is this is John McAfee," and he says, "No relation, thank God." And, by, <laughs> and, and this was maybe this was after the video. Maybe you knew about the video. I don't know. You don't have to. No. Actually, in wow. some ways, he's more coherent than I thought he would be, McAfee. He, uh, he yes, I agree. It, it's like okay, well, I mean, he's very, very serious, and he and at least is making fun of himself a little bit. I think it's hard to tell. I found myself thinking, oh my! I ever talk? I I actually spoke with that guy on the phone once. It's like, Did oh. you really? I like, think oh that yeah, because that was a different guy. Because I was writing the Infoworld column, and I made up three columns about the theory of viruses, and he assumed I had them. So he wanted copies of mine. He wanted to exchange them. And I said, I'm sorry, John. I just, I just, if I'm a programmer, and in the same way that I know how I would, you know, bug companies if the NSA told me to, I know how I would write, I would, I would write viruses if right. someone told me to. There's only one way you do these things, you know, or, or the best way you do them. And so he was disappointed. He couldn't get copies of viruses from me. This is back when he was actually writing, you know, antivirus software. I don't know if he was ever actually a programmer. I don't, know really like, I, I don't yeah, think he's a coder. I don't, I don't I think know what he's a story is. Guy. Yeah, I don't really know. Woo. Supposedly, yeah. he started writing this f- to uh, target a specific virus at his place of employ, and it became an, uh, an application, but I don't know. Mm. Well. I've read read the Wikipedia article, you know, that's who knows how accurate or whether he's gotten into it or not. I know he's gotten into the bath salts. He, uh, so this John McAfee of Oakland, who's no relation, and probably our pre- John, our John, our, McAfee. he probably pronounces it McAfee, just <laughs> to yeah, just to be different. Say, oh my God! Yeah, Stephen Leo, fascinating podcast last week, the best one ever. But you never told us where Zeta fix, fits in with Mega, Giga, and Terra. <laughs> let me let me see if I know. It's uh, uh there's a megabyte, gigabyte, terabyte, petab. Uh, what's after terabyte? Petabyte. Yes. Uh, exabyte. Yes. Is it Zettabyte next? Yes. Okay. And then there's, so, there's Zotabyte, isn't there? Uh, no, there's Yoda. Yodabyte. It's, that's it. Yodabyte. Yodabyte. 
Okay. So, okay. So we we know we know mega, giga, and tera. Right. And so each of these is a is a is ten to the third. So or you know comma zero zero in in English notation. So so we've got we all know a terabyte is like you know now now big drives are have terabyte size platters. So. And the reason this came up is that the NSA storage facility outside of Utah will be able to store five zettabytes of data. So that is five billion terabytes. Five billion terabytes. Five billion <laughs> terabytes. So you know that terabyte drive, or maybe you have a maybe you have a three terabyte drive. You're you're like living large in your computer. Yeah. Imagine at several billion of those. Wow. Billion, yeah. not zillion. Five billion terabytes. You can find, uh, of course, Wikipedia has uh, all of the definitions if you really wanted to know. So let me just, and by the way, if you go the other direction. Um, you mean micro, uh, uh, yeah. mic, uh, nano, micro, and all of that. There's a whole yeah. thing for that, too. Yeah, mil milli, micro, nano. I don't know Pico. What's Pico, that's right. Yeah. I don't know what's after that. So uh, really, really small, really tiny. There's IEC binary preferences, too, uh, which are different. Oh, God. It's a <laughs> really? Yeah, a kibibite. Oh, and oh okay. a megabyte and a gigabyte and a tebabyte and a pebabyte. Well, and there, the other problem is there's there's always been this. Is it 1,000 or is right. it 1024? Is it binary or is it? Uh, yeah. yeah. And and some of the I mean, there's been some controversy with like hard drives because right. they they've they you know they just squeaked out all zeros. They right. weren't able to squeak out the you know the 1024 binary size K. Right. They used the decimal size K. It's like ah, okay, well that's cheating, but you know maybe not. I don't know. I'm pleased that I was actually able to remember that order. Very good job. I forgot kilobyte, which is where it be it all begins at byte, yeah. kilobyte, Kilo and then on. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, good question. How many libraries of Congress? Now, I don't know how big the Library of Congress is. Somebody told me once seven terabytes. So if it's roughly a billion Library of Congresses. A billion Library of Congresses. A billion in that. <laughs> yeah. Yow. Of of like n nonsense. I mean, of well, like just, it's not... just crap. It's just crap. Yeah. You know, it's just like it's we're going to record every all the noise on the Internet. Yeah. And good and luck. We'll filter through it. That's okay. that's uh, to me. That's hubris. That's that's overweening pride. We do it because we can. Jerry Siebrechts in Belgium wonders, is SSL secure if the certificate authorities cooperate? Steve, thanks for your podcast about Prism. Very informative. I can imagine how people outside of the U.S. must feel about this. Jeez. Yeah. Louise. Yeah. Um, one thing I was wondering, and maybe it's my lack of understanding of SSL speaking here, why SSL offers any protection at all? Wouldn't it be possible for the government to get the private key from the certificate authority and decrypt the traffic when they splice it? Suddenly, JavaScript-based encryption doesn't seem so crazy to me anymore. And along with that comes Jimmy Anderson from Sweden. What an international show we have here today. Wondering uh, about SSL encryption. Thanks for your great podcast. What would happen if the NSA got a copy for example, of a, a Facebook's SSL certificate. Wouldn't they be able to decrypt all the traffic into and out of uh, Facebook? Now, these, I think, are very important questions. Um, first of all, let's talk a little bit about the protocol 
of SSL because it is secure against eavesdropping even if you have keys. And that's important. So the keys, the, 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 the public keys that these questions are worried about are used for authentication. And let's remember that. Authentication only proves that you're talking to who you, you believe you are. It is the authentication that prevents the man-in-the-middle attack where somebody intercepts the, the traffic and then can view it and alter it and then send it on. So authentication is separate from privacy. We need to keep those two things separate because they're cryptographically almost unrelated to each other. You can ha easily have one without the other is my point. Now, the way the SSL protocol works is it is secure against eavesdropping, meaning, and we've talked about this many times, each side generates a pseudo-random number that's with high level of entropy, so it cannot be guessed. And it's back. it was because some random number generators used to be poor that SSL, that was an SSL vulnerability to, to, that eavesdroppers could take advantage of. We've solved those problems long ago. So they each, they each generate a random number and they send a derivative of what they each generate to each other. And when they, when the, when the, through that exchange and then combining it with the information they did not disclose, they each are able to arrive at the same private key, the same symmetric key, which is then used for the crypto. The point is, though, nobody monitoring, nobody who is a passive eavesdropper gains any useful information from that. So that's key. So, um, so as long as the conversation is eavesdropped on and not intercepted, we're okay. Now, as far as we know, this is all passive eavesdropping. The, the technology that we believe they're using for hardware, the concept of a, of a fiber optic splitter, you know, this is all passive monitoring. And boy, it really, I mean, that's caused enough trouble. Can you imagine if, if the, the government were actually intercepting connections and performing man-in-the-middle attack? But that said, it, it is chilling, I think, to recognize the, the legal authority that the U.S. intelligence agencies have been given to compel private commercial entities to divulge information on the grounds that it's required for national security and those agencies are prohibited from, from disclosing that. Now, of course, in the news since, there's been a lot of conversation about these agencies really pleading for the government to let them, let them talk, to let them talk about the national security letters that they've been receiving. And I know that that's been a focus of yours too, Leo, for, for some time. I mean, that aspect of it. But also remember that a 
a security authority, a certificate authority never receives the private key of the entity whose certificate they're signing. They're signing the public key to say, yes, we're, we're asserting with our certificate authority integrity that this public key belongs to, for example, Facebook. They never see or get the private key. Facebook, well, because they don't need it. Facebook holds on to that very closely. And, and in fact, it's Facebook's private key that allows them to make their assertion on the incoming in the other direction that they are Facebook because nobody has Facebook's private key. It never needs to leave Facebook's control. Now, Jimmy, the second question said, well, what if the NSA got Facebook's private key? Well, then they could pretend to be Facebook. I mean, they would be Facebook for all intents and purposes. Um, and that's been the, you know, we've talked over the years about various private key leakages which have occurred. And, you know, the industry immediately reacts. All the browsers instantly revoke those certificates. I mean, Google, because it's open source in the Chrome browser, we see the list of, of, of you know, absolutely assertively revoked certificates. Never allow any of the following certificates to be regarded as secure. Microsoft has a has a certificate manager and and you can see in there a, a list of revoked certificates DigiNotar is famously there and even embarrassingly uh, some Microsoft certificates that have that have in the past have gotten loose which are affirmatively revoked so so uh Jory finishes saying suddenly javascript based encryption probably or encryption doesn't seem so crazy to me anymore. And I would say, or listeners to our podcast, what we've always been talking about, pre-internet encryption, is means you're not only relying on your connection security, you are, li- you are relying on encryption that you control absolutely with a, with, with a, a long private key that that isn't relying on any other entity. And ultimately, I think that's where we come back to. This this Threema uh, instant messaging client, uh, T-H-R-E-E-M-A, looks really interesting to me. I think they've really done it right. Um, They have varying levels of security, and they grade the security that you've established with the other endpoint and for, for example, you, you the highest level of security you get when you put your phones together and they scan each other's barcode physically being in proximity in order to perform the secure the, the secure endpoint endpoint negotiation they need in order to never have had this information go through an, a you know a non-secure channel. It's going you know visibly through the air. Only when these phones are together. Anyway, I, I'm hoping that they're going to be adding more support, as I said. But, you know, this is an important question, I think. It it absolutely puts a chill on the whole, I mean, all of this, what we've learned about the depths to which the NSA has obtained authority, and I put those in air quotes, 
and the weakness of the public key infrastructure from certificate authorities up and and what it is that they may be compelled to divulge and the fact that we've been we know we've been relying on a system which is requires absolute security, absolute watchfulness, which the bad guys have wanted to penetrate and have successfully penetrated. Unfortunately, maybe it's not just the bad guys. I mean, I don't, I'm not doing conspiracy theories here or anything. And I think it would be very difficult to, to, to imagine that, that it would be possible for law enforcement to make a case that they should that they they should get access to the public key infrastructure. But we also know that they're really, really unhappy that, as they say, the Internet is going dark. And we've got some some questions that that highlight that aspect of it that we'll that we'll be getting to here next. So, you know, their their answer to being unhappy (laughs) is generally to solve that problem. Right. It's like, oh, great. Jason in Texas says, NSA spying, how can I protect myself? I've been listening to the show for a long time, and from everything I've learned from you, I have many ideas about what I can do to protect myself. But I'm hoping you'll talk about this present instance in particular. What are your thoughts on combining VPN with Tor, VPN before Tor or after Tor, or even is it a good idea to combine VPN with Tor? (laughs) Go ahead, Tor. (sighs) <sighs> yeah, and and this is representative of many questions that I saw, so I just chose Jason's. Um, one, the, the the thing that that stood out here is that there are many VPN providers that will not let you use Tor uh, for whatever reason. They, I, I don't know what their logic is. The Tor network doesn't prohibit you from from doing anything you want to, so. The VPN, in order to be to, in order to, in order for a VPN to block you, you'd be connecting to their server, and then their VPN server would have to refuse to allow you to then run through the Tor network. Turning this around, if you use Tor first, then you'd come out of the Tor network. And attempt to connect to the 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 VPN server, and so again the VPN provider would have to be refusing to accept a connection out of a Tor endpoint. Um, I, I have heard anecdotal reports that people have had problems using both a VPN and Tor um, be, be, through some policy-based blocking on the VPN side. I just haven't pursued it any further because it felt a little bit, you know, tinfoil hat to me, though I can, I can recognize someone's concern. You know, on a broad, on, from a broader basis, Jason is saying, how can I, how can I protect myself from the NSA spying? And I, I don't have a good answer. I mean, I, I don't think you can. I think what one of the takeaways from last week's podcast was, and, and the reason we did it, I mean, the reason what we, what we try to offer here is the technology and the solutions that, te- that that technology implies and 
solutions that are available thanks to the technology. Um, you know, we just looked at the possible compromise of the public key infrastructure. Not, I mean, it seems very unlikely to me, but, but you know, it's possible. And unfortunately, what one of the things we always see is what is possible ends up happening. So this is why I don't think it's safe any longer to rely on SSL for privacy. This is why I've been saying pre-internet encryption. There, the, the notion was not to trust the link and not to trust the storage, the cloud storage provider, only trust yourself and, or TNO, trust no one. Unfortunately, I think to a larger degree than has been felt previously, un- that the, the, the TNO really needs to extend now to the public key infrastructure because it does rely on, on us trusting certificate authorities and on, on what they're doing. Now- so, you know, how do you protect yourself? I think you just need to cons- can, can, you have to assume that unless you control the crypto, it's not in your control. Well, and even that might not be sufficient because of the metadata. So, for instance, uh, very good, very good point. Yes, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Uh, yes, 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 yes. So very I can encrypt. Point. I can encrypt email till the cows come home. In fact, it's very easy to install a GNU Privacy Guard, which is an open source PGP implementation that's excellent and simple and trivial. It's very easy to install on the Mac and Mac Mail and use it. But they can still see who I'm sending stuff to and when and how often. They could see I who think, that person sends stuff to. I think that Silent Circle may be preventing this, and I think that Threema may also be. The point is they're using they're, – and rather than doing peer-to-peer, the problem with peer-to-peer is it leaves metadata. Right. The only way to prevent metadata is to have a, a metadata provi- – I mean, I mean ha- have a connectivity provider who is specifically against – Spying. Um, one of these, and when we get to a question about it later, oh, it's it's the Whisper guy. We already know that that's Moxie Marlin Spike. Right. Well, I would I would deeply trust, trust Moxie. Him. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know his whole business model, and he's um, was he Silent Circle? I can't remember which was which. Um, I think but, he was Silent Circle. Was Phil Zimmerman was involved in that one? That's the okay. PGP guy. But so anyway, the idea is if you if you if you if everybody connects to a central hub and and I do know that I just read when I was looking at at, at Threema, they arbitrarily pad the message length with a pseudo random nonsense and length so that they in order to prevent the um, the uh, association of of you know to to identify packets by size as for example they move through Tor, so so you know there's there really are some good technologies and I have a feeling we'll be focusing on these in coming weeks. You know the the types of technologies that that really are taking the going to the next level to thwart you know passive eavesdropping and both metadata and 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 privacy violation. It's yeah. certainly not easy. I mean, it's really going to – it ups the ante. Yeah, I mean, so I can encrypt uh, – and so you would one would want to encrypt one's data before one puts it on the internet. 
post, oh, yeah. post pre-internet encryption or PI. Um, but then one would also want to hide the transactions themselves. Uh, so that would mean using something like Silent Circle. And then finally, one should throw away one's cell phone because there's no way to prevent that if you're going to be on a network unless somebody comes along and provides a um, Silent Circle-like cell phone network. Someone did mention that in addition to connection metadata, companies were keeping um, like dynamic cell phone tower presence yeah, location, metadata. Location. And I, but I don't know that. That like all like right now, d- d- I'm a Verizon user. Does you know does Verizon does Verizon's like caring where I am and unless they don't oh, yeah. need to specifically look. No, they totally store that. Oh. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> that's the that's the that's the pen register that stuff. They, that means that they can unwind the history of your location yes. all the way back in time. Right. So don't carry oh. a cell phone. Goodness. Or or just keep it turned off. Well, no, because no. when you turn it but off, they'll don't they'll carry it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't have it. So Darn. a pen register record is uh, this whole idea of there is no warrant necessary to request location data from a cell provider. And in fact... Wait, wait, location history also? Yeah. Oh. I, right. I'm pretty sure they're saving all of that. That's just a lot of data. But on the <laughs> other hand, we do have... We have five zettabytes. It's got to go somewhere. Wow. It's like where everybody is all the time. Yeah. Is what this means. Well, what that would be is a request to Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile. Would you mind keeping that for some length of time? And we'll just come and get. We'll fetch it. You don't have to keep it longer than than how often we visit. Well, business records. I mean, that's the whole deal. Is, it's is business they, records, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I think they've been saying all along that that is for sure. There, but you know, you're nuts if you think you're private in any way if you carry a cell phone. Yeah, that's yeah. nuts. Yeah, actually, I will say that I that mine I've got apps that keep asking to turn on location data, and I just say no. You know, I mean, I don't need. I'm not a map user, so I don't need everything to. I don't want you know my location being tweeted out whenever I tweet something. It's like no, no, no. I just see. I don't. This is. I guess this is the point that I've always made, which is you know people are so worried about Google and Facebook and other people knowing where you are, and that seems to me. I mean, what they that's for commerce. I don't. I'm not. I don't really worry about that. I'm much more worried about the fact that the government is and, and law enforcement uh, at, at all levels are able to get this data, able to store it, able to use it against you in the future. It's pre-crime. Yeah. yeah. So let's say they arrest me someday for, you know, something, and they say, we got to build a case against this guy because this case is weak. Now they go and they request all the things I've done for years, and they yep. sift through it. And they look for, you know, it's a federal crime. It's a felony to violate a website's terms of service. That's a federal crime. What? Yeah. <laughs> a felony? Yeah. My goodness. So there's plenty. We, we are all committing felonies all the time. Have you ever signed up for a, fa- you know, the kids who sign up for a Facebook account and they aren't 13 yet, that's a felony. So uh, go back through that stuff. Find all these little uh, ridiculous things. And um, wait a minute, is ad blocking violating their terms of service? I bet it is. I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great! Yeah, okay. Let's just take us away. 
just, you know, put our wrists together. That's the, uh, by the way, that's, wow. and I should point out, that's the Justice Department's interpretation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Well, and that's, of course, what the intelligence agencies right. would ask. Well, well and that's Justice what they were Department. getting Aaron Schwartz on. Aaron Schwartz's prosecution yeah, was based on his goodness. violation of the terms of service of that database that he downloaded. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so the point being that I think if they have enough data about what you do, they can find stuff. They can build, they can build a case against you. So it's really a question of do they want to build a case against you or not? Right. Yep. Yep. And one exactly. of the reasons they say this is they, they explicitly say the reason we save this data is so we can build a case against you. Should we want to go get you someday? So you just really have to trust them. So in other words, I don't care if I'll turn on location on Path and Google and Foursquare. I'm not worried about them. It's the feds you worry about, and they don't need you to say yes. Yeah, they got it all. Feds, local, whoever. Um, chill <laughs> in Washington D.C. Perfectly timed name, yeah. Senator Chill. Uh, a couple of comments about uh, Prism. First, good catch on the importance of metadata. You missed one crucial detail. Frequency cell phones need to send keep alive messages to the tower every minute or so oh, to keep great. registered. This was perfectly timed. Yeah, and uh, let the network know they're still alive. Uh, location data and other info are included in these keep alive messages, so they have more location data just than when you make or receive a call. Yeah, we've known that. Second, the device used on the AT&T network over in San Francisco was a NARIS Insight Manager, now known as NARIS N System. We've talked about that. Yep. And we mentioned the Prism graphic. The original brochures have been replaced with something much less informative. The old ones showed something like Wireshark on custom oh. ASICs. Capable of deep packet inspection in real time on a 10 gigabyte, what's a GBE link? A 10 gigabit link, Ethernet link. Ethernet. 10 gigabit yeah. Ethernet link with room to spare. That, that was seven years ago. Penultimately, how about putting a shout out to the audience to see who can come up with a tool to rid ourselves once and for all of the Hong Kong post office in their ilk. My idea is a programmer plug-in that keeps a log of root signers of every certificate your browser encounters. Find out who's needed in the root list and who isn't, then just delete the latter from our certificate stores. Maybe a place to submit lists and create a map of certificates in their signing trees. Finally, correcting an error, you said when an email server sends mail via SMTP, it is in the clear. That isn't always true. SMTP over SSLTLS is RFC 2487, posted back in 1999. That means SMTP to SMTP server communications can be set to opportunistic to happen when the destination server supports it or required for people really paranoid. Required is a configuration used by many government agents, agencies when sending mail in order to other uh, government destinations, .gov destinations. All SMTP communications between the various .gov servers are encrypted using TLS. I bet you that's about the only place it's used. But thanks for educating the masses on the importance of security. So, yes, uh, starting from that issue, uh, there is a protocol call, called Start TLS, right. which was added to SMTP. The problem is, unless, for example, you can mandate that all .gov, exactly as you said, Leo, SMTP servers are going to only exchange email that way. You can't exchange email with the rest of the world. And, you know, my email server that GRC is using is state-of-the-art, very recent, does not offer that even as an option. So it's still not there. 
Um, I do use SSL for all, and that's one of the reasons I use, I, I, I set it up. We've got secure connections for all of our client, you know, myself, Greg, and Sue, all of our connections to our own server are absolutely SSL, but the SMTP to SMTP, as I said last week, when the email from us leaves our server and goes elsewhere, it cannot be SSL. I mean, maybe some percentage, but on, but you cannot require it. Um, and for example, I can't receive it because my state-of-the-art SMTP server doesn't even offer that as an option. So it it actually has not happened in in effectively in the real world yet. Um, and this 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 note that he has about certificate stores, there's an interesting technology that changed with Vista that never received much attention. It's Vista had it, and Windows Seven has it. Server two thousand three, I think. Has it, but I'm not sure. It may not. But I know that 2008 um, has it because I encountered it. And that is this, these, the Vista OS that everyone is using and Windows 7 OS and GRC server, and I'm not sure how far back it goes, they don't come out of the box with the entire every certificate authority you ever heard of, Hong Kong Post Office and company, um, certificates they start with about 12 and and it's a little bit of a concern actually because when the server encounters an ssl connection that is anchored in a certificate authority whose certificate it doesn't already have it goes and asks microsoft give me a certificate hey what do you got (laughs) yeah you know these Hong Kong guys? Who are they? And, and unfortunately, this means that Microsoft indirectly is able to monitor all of their Vista and Windows 7 and late model server right. connections for which certificate authorities they have ever asked for certificates from. Now, if if that annoys you, you can download the the master pack, which is like four hundred and some certificate authorities, and, and not use this dynamic approach. But the default for from Vista on for the for on the consumer Windows and seven and eight, and also on two thousand eight and on, um, and I think an earlier version, but I don't remember where that started on the servers. Um, it is to ask for certificates on the fly. So you you still end up with a well-populated store. It just takes a while as that sort of matures. And then, of course, your the rate at which you're asking for ones you don't have drops off because you end up with a, with a large collection. But nicely, only the ones you've ac- actually needed to use, not just every, not the whole, you know, kitchen sink collection. So a bunch of good points there. Thank you. And are we still really worried about Hong Kong? When you could worry yeah. about Washington D.C., it's it's yeah, Hong Kong's benign. <laughs> that's that's where Edward Snowden is. That's where Snowden went. Hong yes. Kong's the new freedom, the protection of Hong Kong. The oh, new, uh, no. <laughs> where was it? Humphrey Bogart was going. The new uh, free French resistance. Greg in Kansas wonders. I message and FaceTime secure from NSA snooping. He uh, he uh, quotes a uh, an Ars Technica article 
Which probably refers back to the Apple post, but we'll see. Does iMessage yep. utilize pre-internet encryption like LastPass does? If so, should be secure from NSA snooping, as Apple claims. But who holds the keys? Apple? And Dustin Shum in Michigan, who wonders similar, somewhat similarly, Apple, can Apple or cannot Apple decrypt our iMessages? In the uh, privacy statement Apple posted on its website just uh, this week, they say they can't decrypt iMessages. While it may be end-to-end encryption, how can they provide history to new devices if yep. they don't have the key to decrypt? When you put a new uh, new uh, device on, uh, on iMessages, it has all the old messages on there. I would guess that when I sign in with a new device, I download the key, and my new device is now able to decrypt the messages. Apple probably hasn't given any technical explanation, but, but Steve, do you know how it could even possibly work without Apple being able to uh, decrypt my data? No, I don't. And this brings up, I think, the next point, Leo. I'm finding myself strongly uh, leaning in the direction you've always been, which is if it's not open source, we really can't trust it. And that's the problem with iMessage. I, we, well, one of the things we know, because the protocol is closed, but there was a, a researcher who installed it an, or like an early version of it, or I don't remember quite what the, what the scenario was, but he there was an iMessage on his Mac on his Mac OS ten system, and because he was a developer and had the tools, and it was on a Mac platform that he had access to, he was able to do a lot of reverse engineering. And I remember looking at the protocol, and I've just made your eyes cross. It was unbelievably and complicated kind of not so good either right i mean kind yes. of like convoluted yeah that's a problem with crypto you the, the more complicated it is the more opportunities there are for mistakes and it isn't it doesn't have to be complex anymore we know how to solve these problems easily so apple's iMessage protocol is proprietary they're they're needing to assure people that they're safe well it uses end-to-end encryption, they say, and I believe them. But unfortunately, apparently, it's also stored. And so we assume it's stored in encrypted format. Yet somehow, as, as, as has been observed many times, you bring a new device online and it receives your iMessage history. Well, is it coming from other devices? Yeah, is it where coming is it? So they, from so- Apple? It says it, Apple. I mean, it says they say specifically Apple cannot decrypt that data. Yet yeah. magically, unencrypted data appears on my new MacBook Air when I log into iMessages. This Air doesn't have any previous keys. Right. Maybe the key is stored in my Apple account because you do have to log in. Now it's. I think this might make sense. I have to log into my Apple iCloud account to use this machine. I have to associate messages with that. Yes. So perhaps there's a key there Apple doesn't have access to. So assume, I mean, we could try to engineer a solution by saying that the the end user has to provide authentication for his iCloud account, which Apple does not have. Apple has presumably hashed everything. So, so... That and presumably you could do that. that. So the hash, yes. So the but but again, uh, okay, yes. So so 
Apple hashes everything. They can they can verify your information, but they cannot recreate your information, your your authentication information. And so they've designed a system where you you must authenticate yourself. And when you do, that authentication is used to decrypt your iMessage store and to then repopulate a new device's iMessage history. And so, okay, yeah, uh, you know, that makes sense. I'm not trusting it, not given what we know. Not, not, I'm not trusting it because it's not open. Right. I'm not trusting anything now, a messaging system that large corporate entities like Apple are hosting. Unfortunately, the good news is there are alternatives. We'll be talking about them. I have a feeling a lot more in the future. Um, but you know, we know that the FBI, NSA, CIA, whomever, is able to now get, you know, compel Apple to divulge information. And the, Apple's not telling us how their systems work. They're closed protocol. As far as I'm concerned, that rules them out in us considering them sufficiently safe. When there are free, right. known, open protocol alternatives. Like CryptoCat. Yes. This like doesn't in any way compromise CryptoCat. Like Silent Circle, right. like uh, like what we're going to be talking about here in the next question. Our final question, Dennis Downing Jr., Staten Island, New York. He wonders specifically about Text Secure. It's a from a company called Whisper Systems. First off, I don't know if I could get by in life without your show. I've listened to every episode at least twice. You and Leo do an extraordinary job. The shows are very informative and exciting for me. Hope many more years of podcasts to come. Wow, that's nice. Thank you. I have an Android phone. There is a free app called Text Secure. It gives you end-to-end -end encryption with text messages. I've been using it for a while. It looks like it might do the trick. I wanted a professional opinion, if you wouldn't mind. They have another app called Red Phone. Oh, I have Red Phone. I'm familiar with that. It does the same thing with voice calls, from what I understand. I've noticed that the downloads of these apps have soared since the NSA <laughs> News came out. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that using the apps may be a solution. I must say, if this is truly an app that works, anyone, and I mean anyone, can use it. It's super easy. You press a lock on top of the text message interface. It initiates key exchanges automatically. There's also an option for you to verify keys with a recipient. I would assume to make sure there's no funny business with a man in the middle. If yep. you could touch on this app and your show, if it works, I think it would be an amazing benefit to anyone who uses it. It's whispersystems.org. And that is Moxie Marlin Spikes uh -huh. app and his company. And as we've said, uh, and I'm glad you've come around on this one because I know when we first started this show, I has, I've always said I don't use encryption that's not open source. And I think yeah, you now well, I, agree. <laughs> I do. Well, I wanted to do a commercial one. Yeah. And and it wasn't going to be open source. And now it's like, okay, I'm not doing a commercial be, one. It has to be open source. And this is on GitHub. Whisper Systems has posted the source code. So yep. that means you can you can validate it. You can. Uh... So there are. Yeah, he has two platforms right now. It appears to be. I'm sorry. Two two apps. This is Mo Moxie does, and his whole deal is we can make encryption absolutely unbustable encryption easy to use while absolutely secure. So this is Android platform only at the moment. But two apps, one for text and one for voice. Red Phone is, is similarly Android to Android um, audio encryption, courtesy of Whisper Systems and Moxie Marlinspike. Uh, I will 
dig deeper into them in the future, I am sure, and look at, for example, how, you know, do, does it provide metadata protection? I am absolutely sure that they've solved the problem of, of privacy and authentication. I, I, uh, and you know, but the problem like with metadata right is if you're doing it over a uh, uh, cell phone, well, of course, the metadata about the transaction is, is, uh, is still visible, as right. always. Um, right. I see an iOS a source code repository, so there may be an iOS version of Text Secure. We'll have to look. Now, and see. I guess one of the things you could do with a cell phone is you are able to put it in airplane mode or turn the cellular modem well, off. What you need is a burner in, that's not associated in, to you. You need to go to the drugstore, pay cash. Well, or use Wi-Fi instead of instead of cellular. I have a feeling Wi-Fi would be just as bad. The problem is if you're, okay, so this phone, if I'm not on the cellular network at all, I guess I'm okay. But if I'm on the cellular network and I use Wi-Fi, the cellular network still sees the location data from the Wi-Fi. So you have to really, I think the best thing is uh, you need a phone that's not associated with you. But as we know, that's the problem with metadata is it only takes a few data points to start being able to figure out who's whom. Yeah. But that's why drug dealers throw their burner phones out every week. Do they? Yeah. I, according to The Wired, yes. Well, have you seen The Wire? Big... Have you watched that oh, show? Oh, my God. Are you kidding okay. me? Oh, wow, yes. That's where I learned yes. everything I know about drug dealing and burner phones. Okay, we're glad for that. <laughs> um, what we need is... There, there was Remember really... they sent bubs all over town buying of burner course. phones? Yeah, all oh, right. Of course. The Wire's spectacular <laughs> HBO series. Um the, the thing we need, there was a neat privacy guy who he objected to the idea that the, the supermarkets were using the, the little loyalty tabs. And so whenever he was in line in the supermarket, he would exchange them with the other people in line just to sort of scramble up the database. There you go. So what we need is we need a burner phone interchange system where every week a bunch of people get together and in a big circle and they hand their phone to the person on the left. And make sure there's no then, cameras taking pictures of who's going in and going out. Exactly. And then and then you all disperse and that will just scramble up the database. Mm, I'm just going to tell you, once this paranoia begins, <laughs> it's turtles all the way down. There's no There's no end point where you go, now I'm safe. Steve Gibson does his best, though, to protect us. And, you know, the most important thing is to understand what's going on, what the risks are. And I, I hope surface this conversation. Foil, and, and I should I, be wearing tinfoil. <laughs> I wore tinfoil hat in the last tweet. I saw you. <laughs> we got to get you on Twit. In fact, I, I've been meaning to get you on. Uh, I don't know what you do Sunday afternoons. I'm available. I'll have Chad give you a, a hingle. Okay. Steve Gibson is the uh, guy in charge of security now. Every Wednesday he comes on here, and we, it's just it's it's be- rapidly becoming a must-listen show for anybody who wants to understand this stuff. It's uh, like this, like what you just heard. Yeah, only more. Yeah. <laughs> we will be doing this uh, next Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1800 UTC, right here. So tune in live. But if you like to fast-forward through the boring bits... You can always download on-demand audio and video after the fact. Now, Steve has the teensy-weensiest uh, audio, which is a 16-kilobit version on his site, grc.com. He also has transcripts, which make it very easy to fast-forward. Just- and I have to say, the transcripts for last week's episode, 408, they're just wonderful. Because you, yeah, you can good. quickly scroll by and, like, see where there's a big blob where I'm talking nonstop. Right. It's like, oh, oh, right. here's Steve talking about something. Yeah, Yeah, you can see the little – they should make me red. 
then the little black, 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 black red. Uh, you can, that's grc.com. While you're there, you know, if you've got a question, grc.com slash feedback. Pick up a copy of SpinRight. Free upgrades forever guaranteed by Mr. Gibson. So don't say, oh, I'm going to wait for the next. No. Get no it need. now. You need it now. Uh, you should also get all the freebies, including. And actually, if you get it now, you can play with the pre-release versions, too. So oh, you can? Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there you go. That's a good reason to go to grc.com. You just have to hack the URL. No, you know, just add a six, yeah. right? GRC. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll provide instructions. <laughs> There'll be a link there, I think. I there I will. Uh, thank you, Steve. What a great show, as always. Uh, my level of interest is rising as the government's level of interest in us is rising. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fortune. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Steve, and we'll see you next time on Security Now. Thanks, Leo. Security Now.